Well, good morning. Uh, it's lovely to be with you this morning. As, as it's been said, my name is Rachel, uh, and I'm a member here at FBC. In fact, I've been um, coming to FBC now for almost 20 years. In November, uh, it will be the, first, uh, the anniversary of the time that uh, I came here for the first time with my husband, Jonathan. We've raised our two daughters, uh, Phoebe and Hannah, as part of uh, this congregation, and we've uh, really, really benefited from being a part of FBC. Uh, I'm so delighted to be here with you this morning and kicking off this new series. Um, I came across the material that we're going to look at over the next four weeks about a year ago, and I found it hugely uh, helpful. Um, I was uh, brought up in a Christian home. I became a Christian when I was about 12, uh, but I started going to church when I was two weeks old. Uh, so you definitely um, somebody who's kind of uh, lived their life um, in uh, the Christian faith. That might be your experience as well this morning. Perhaps you've been going to church for many, many years. Perhaps you've just been coming for the last few weeks or months. Perhaps this morning uh, is your first time with us. Perhaps you've never picked up a Bible before in your life. Then you are very well and in fact, you've picked a great morning to start coming uh, along to FBC because we're looking um, at this new series, uh, The Bible for Grown-Ups. And really, in essence, what we're going to be doing is nothing because my thing doesn't work. Oh, here we go. There it is, the story of the Bible. We're looking over the next four weeks uh, at the story of the Bible. Uh, and we think that this is going to help us understand the stories that are contained in the Bible. And if you've never read a Bible before, then um, it's a great time for you to be with us. And you're going to get loads out of this. Uh, because people like me, who've been brought up in the Christian faith, who've kind of known it from year dot, um, we uh, engage with the uh, Bible in a childlike way to start with. Uh, and then we actually have to transition and uh, read the Bible in an adult way, which is why we've named this series The Bible for Grown-Ups this morning. And if you've never actually read it before as a child or anything, then it's perfect, because you've got no baggage at all. Let me explain a little bit about what I mean and my experience. Uh, I said I, I started going to church when I was two weeks old. I got my first Bible when I was three years old, and I've actually bought it with um, you. In fact, I got three Bibles when I was a child, and this is my first uh, Bible. It came in a, book, in a box. Uh, my mum had a clear out the other day, you can tell, so she just gave me everything that was from my childhood. Uh, so it came in a box. It was given to me on the death of a, a great aunt that I didn't really know, but um, they gave it to me, uh, and it had... Um, it's got this picture of Jesus on the front. And actually, this picture, they had this picture and some other pictures from this Bible. It's got, it's got different pictures in it. Uh, on the wall in my Sunday school class when I was a little girl. And so I thought that this, this guy here, this picture, this was actually Jesus. This was, you know, like a, a photograph of him. So and I thought that's exactly what he looked like. So whenever I drew pictures of Jesus, I always drew him um, like wearing the same clothes and everything because I thought that this actually was Jesus. So this was the first Bible I had. I didn't really read it because I was only three years old. Um, and I kind of kept it special because we've still got the box. Um, but I did look at the pictures uh, in it. The second Bible I got given was this Bible. I got this Bible on, uh, when uh, Prince Charles married Lady Diana. Now, most people got mugs or something like that, um, or tea cozy or something. But I got given a Bible. And it's got this lovely picture inside of the happy couple as it were, uh, and, uh, uh, and I, I kind of, again, I didn't really read this Bible. It felt like it was commemorative, um, you know, it's got this silver, you know, it all seemed really nice. So really, this Bible um, stayed on the shelf as well. 
Although I wasn't reading these two Bibles, I was learning the stories of the Bible. I was learning them at Sunday school. Um, I was learning them from my parents. Um, and I was learning them um, at school as well. In those days, we were taught Bible stories uh, at school. So I was picking up stories of, of the Bible. And I was learning the things like um, that you may know of, uh, Noah and his ark and the animals going in two by two, uh, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem and having the baby Jesus and all that kind of thing. Uh, great stories in the Bible, really inspirational stories for children. Um, if you've got kids with you this morning, then those, uh, your children are learning some of those stories uh, here this morning. If they're up in FBC Kids, they're learning about Moses. Uh, if they're in Fireflies, the little ones, they're learning about Daniel in the lion's den. Great stories uh, to teach children, inspirational heroes and amazing things that happened. When I was 12, I was given another Bible for my birthday. Uh, and uh, as you can see, I did read this one. It's in a bit of a mess, actually. A little piece of it's already fallen off this morning because uh, it's kind of uh, a bit tatty. But it goes to show that I did actually read this Bible. Um, and then as I started to read this Bible as a teenager, um, it's got really wonderful pictures in it. I think we've got a picture and um, these line drawings. And as I read, I learned my way around this Bible, really, through these pictures. They, they help me navigate uh, myself around. And I read some of the stories that I'd read as a child, but I began to read some other stories too. And they were a little bit different to the ones that I'd been taught as a child. There were stories about um, uh, murder, uh, incest, uh, rape, um, mass executions of people. And I began to think, well, this is a bit different to what I've previously read. And there was also um, stuff about um, lifestyle, what you should and shouldn't do. Uh, and I began to think, well, this is a bit different, uh, and question some of the things that were written in the Bible. That may have been your experience uh, too. The problem is, you see, that when we struggle with one part of the Bible, it can knock our confidence in the rest of the Bible. And there were lots of people around me in sort of church circles who would say, oh, the Bible says this, or the Bible says that. You know, there's songs that we used to sing, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Or the song that we heard at the beginning this morning, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. And I kind of got to the stage where I'm thinking, well, that's a bit difficult because I'm struggling with this one bit over here. How can I um, believe in the whole Bible, this massive sweeping statement that says, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. And you see, that people are, could be in a similar situation to me, that uh, when you struggle with one bit, that it might knock your confidence to actually read the other bits. And people begin to disengage with reading the Bible. They certainly begin to disengage with talking about um, the Bible and their faith with their friends and people because they lack confidence in what it says in the Bible because of some of the things they struggle with. Some people may even lose their faith uh, because of it. And I think um, that one of the reasons that people struggle is because no one taught people like me the story of how we got the Bible. No one told us the story of the Bible. But when you can understand the story of the Bible, uh, then it helps you understand the stories that are within the Bible. Uh, and it makes sense of what the Bible says 
in our life here in modern Britain. And that's what's had a big impact on me over this last year. And that's what we're going to be unpacking uh, for the next four weeks as we look at this whole series. We're going to be looking at the story of how we got the Bible. So let's dig in straight away and start thinking about what we've got here. So in this little book here, well, it's quite a big book, it's got really teeny tiny writing. Uh, so uh, when you open this Bible, the, one of the sort of things you see to start with is that it seems to be broken up in different ways. There's an Old Testament uh, and there's a New Testament. And there's an index at the front that says there are six, 66 books in here uh, and they're all listed out for you. Uh, and, um, and then it's all sort of chaptered and verse to make it sort of easy easy to navigate around, and there's, there's some, some book Bibles have pictures like my one had, some of them have maps and things. And to say that this is one book, the Bible, isn't massively accurate. We call them um, books in the Bible, but actually this would be a more accurate reflection of what the Bible is like. Um, I'm not entirely sure there's 66 books here, uh, but definitely it's more like a whole bookcase uh, full of different books. I keep saying the word books, they're not really books. Some were sort of history journals, and some would be sort of big scripts about law. Uh, there's some song lyrics in here. Uh, there are what I think is a bit dodgy romantic poetry. Uh, there's some memoirs, there's letters. Some of them would just be like a pamphlet, actually, uh, or one piece of paper. But this whole thing is a little bit more uh, like that than like this. When you open this, at the beginning, it seems to start with Genesis, and it ends with a book called Revelation. But when, this morning, what we're actually going to look at is the, where the, the story of the Bible really begins. And it's more like the sort of end of the middle. And it starts with a guy called Luke. We looked at Luke um, a few months ago in our I Follow series, uh, if you were with us back earlier in the year. Luke was a first century doctor, and he wrote down an account of the life of Jesus. Uh, and he says this at the beginning. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the very first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Luke was writing something down. He wasn't writing the whole Bible. He wanted to just write uh, down an account of the life of Jesus. And by looking at uh, what he's written, it helps us to begin to start understanding the sort of the why and the how um, the Bible um, came about in the first place. Let's see, sort of see what he was saying. And the first word that he says is, many, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. And right there in that word, it tells us something is impo important is going on. You see, back in the day when Luke um, was around, uh, not many people could read and write, and things like papyrus and parchment were really, really expensive. So if uh, a significant event happened, it was, it was likely that one person would write an account of it. But to understand that many people thought that something important happened, that they wanted to write it down, tells us that something significant was happening we find out that they were eyewitnesses to something going on that he talked to uh, to find out what went on. 
He says that he carefully investigated uh, things and he wanted to write an account for most excellent Theophilus. Some people think that he is a rich man, Theophilus, because it says he's excellent. Uh, other people think that Theophilus was actually a group of people who were studying uh, together. It doesn't actually matter uh, who Theophilus is. Um, but what was it that made a busy doctor? We know that all doctors uh, are busy because there's always sick people around. What was it that made this doctor take time out from his busy schedule uh, and talk to eyewitnesses and investigate something uh, and, and then write it down in an orderly account? He wasn't there, he spoke to people. He spoke to the eyewitnesses, the people that had been around Jesus at the time. He spoke to some of his followers, uh, some of the 12 disciples. Uh, and he wrote down uh, an orderly account which helps us to see the how and why our Bible began. We're going to pick up uh, his story um, a little bit later on. He wrote this account of Jesus, and it, you can see as you read it, it feels like a doctor's written it, because he tells stories about how Jesus healed people, uh, and he seems to be particularly interested in people that perhaps society didn't like so much. So he talks about women, he talks about children, he talks about social outcasts. Uh, and then um, he talks about um, Jesus' death, and he does it, and it seems to me he does it from a very orderly way um, from a sort of medical perspective. And he takes us through uh, what happened when Jesus died. Now, Jesus was killed by the Romans uh, using their uh, preferred form of execution, um, uh, being uh, crucified on a a tree or a cross uh, in Jesus's case. And uh, he, he was killed by the Romans. Uh, a guy called Pilate was the, the leader of the Romans. Uh, but it was done with the agreement uh, and actually sort of uh, encouraged to kill uh, Jesus by the Jewish religious authorities. Now, they didn't like Jesus at all. Uh, they uh, didn't like the fact that he claimed to be uh, the son of God, the Messiah. Now, the Israel nation was waiting for a Messiah. God had promised them a Messiah, a rescuer, who would kind of get them out of the mess that they'd got in. And initially, people thought that this could be Jesus. And cl- crowds flocked to him. They loved Jesus. Um, and, but gradually, um, he, the things that he said and the things that he did upset the people, and it certainly upset the Jewish authorities. They thought he was blasphemous, and they wanted him dead. They wanted him out the way uh, because uh, they didn't like him. And so they allowed him to be killed on the cross. Uh, All those people who had initially followed him had abandoned him and turned against him. And even his closest followers um, uh, got scared. And at the point where Jesus was arrested, they kind of fled and went away. One of them in particular, Peter, even denied knowing Jesus when he was asked by a teenage girl. He was so scared of what happened. So they put him to death on a cross Uh, And then we pick up the story in Luke's orderly account this morning at this point. It says this, now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council. So he was a member of this Jewish uh, religious authority, uh, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He hadn't been in, in agreement with them that they should put Jesus to death. He was from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He'd met Jesus, and I think that he was a secret follower of Jesus, but he didn't want to sort of uh, be too public about it. 
And it says what he did, and it tells us the detail of what he did. He went to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. We get this detailed discussion about what's going on here. Um, You know, he's a doctor. So if Jesus wasn't dead, then this account would say something like, uh, Jesus was almost at death, so he went to uh, speak to uh, Pilate and took Jesus away uh, to this secret location where he was nursed back to health and strength with, you know, these special herbs and spices and this special thing that the doctors did. But he didn't. He says it plain and simple. Jesus was dead And so they put him in a tomb. They wrapped him up as they would do normally and they put him in a tomb because he was dead. He then goes on with his story. He says, the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Again, he's giving us detail and accurate description of what's going on. That the Jewish culture in those days was for women to put herbs and spices around bodies to help with the stench of decomposition. It was the Jewish way of caring for the dead. And what Luke's count is telling us here is Jesus was dead. This whole Jesus thing was over. The thousands of people who used to come and listen to him speak and see the miracles he did, they were gone. Even his closest followers were disillusioned and in hiding. Luke tells us this, when Jesus died, there were no followers, there were no Christians, there was no church, and there was certainly no Bible. In fact, he wouldn't have even bothered writing his account because um, it seems that Jesus was a fraud. He said he was the son of God, and yet there he is, dead in a tomb. Uh, So Luke wouldn't have even bothered writing an account of this fraudster. But he did write his account. And the reason he wrote the account is that the story of Jesus didn't end on that cross. Because three days later, people started seeing Jesus alive. Uh, He he appeared to uh, his disciples. They ate with him. They walked with him. They talked with him. They touched him. He was definitely alive. And those followers of Jesus became transformed. And Luke goes on and writes like a sequel to the first book that he wrote, his first account. And he starts his sequel uh, like this. And it's again to Theophilus, whoever it is. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And then Luke goes on to record um, what happened next. Jesus, um, Peter, the guy who was probably feeling the worst of all those disciples, uh, he goes out on the streets. He's transformed um, from this person who was feeling dreadful, who was a cowering wreck. He goes out on the streets and he starts speaking to thousands of people who'd gathered for a Jewish festival. Um, and he says this to them, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. 
Peter goes from being this blubbering wreck to this transformed person, full of courage, full of hope. Uh, And he speaks to these thousands, and thousands of people are also transformed. They also become uh, to believe that Jesus must have been who he said he was. He must have been uh, the Son of God. And what we see here, and what Luke records for us in his second account, is how the uh, kind of Jesus movement began, how this group of people, these group of followers of Jesus, uh, kind of grew and multiplied. We call it now, we call it the early church, but really it was just a group of people who heard about this amazing thing. Some of them had seen Jesus alive, and they came together, and that's how the church grew. He talked to eyewitnesses who'd seen Jesus alive, they'd seen Jesus die, and they'd seen Jesus resurrected again, and they realized that he must be who he said he was. And we start getting this clue and unpacking what it means um, about how the story of the Bible began. It was these eyewitness accounts, these people who had seen this amazing thing happen. And they started to talk to other people and and share the story. And that was very common in those days. Um, It was sort of Jewish tradition when people didn't read and write very much that they would share verbally the stories that they uh, knew and see the things that they'd seen, the Jewish texts that they um, uh, were taught were passed on verbally. And then gradually people realized that actually we need to write this stuff down. We need to get these accounts down. and, And that's why we know how the story of why the Bible began. It was to keep a record of Jesus's life death and resurrection, because these people knew that what had happened was such a significant event, it needed to be recorded for future generations. That first uh, word of, of Luke's first account, many, we heard that many people wrote down accounts, and we are fortunate today to have four accounts that are written down and recorded in our Bibles. We have an account from Luke. Then we have an account from Mark. Uh, Now, Mark really knew Peter very well. Peter was a fisherman, so he was probably illiterate. And it's thought that perhaps uh, Peter shared his story, his eyewitness account, uh, with Mark. He says he loved Mark like a son. And so um, it, it seems that Mark wrote down Peter's account. And then we have two kind of memoirs. We have a memoir written from Matthew, who kind of explains the, Jesus, the life of Jesus uh, through a lens of uh, the Jewish traditions. And he explains some of the things that the Jews knew about, and he explains how they came true uh, in Jesus. And then the second memoir we had uh, who uh, was from John. John was also one of the 12 disciples, just like uh, Matthew was. And he got to the end of his life, and he wrote down an account of uh, his experiences with Jesus as well. He knew by then that some other people had written down stuff, so he didn't go into all the different um, examples of the um, specific events that happened so much, but he took time to unpack those events and explain them and explain what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection uh, meant. And he writes this. We're going to swap to uh, John's account now. This is how he finishes his account of the life of Jesus. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these, the ones that I've written down, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. He's saying, I've written down my recollections of what happened because I want you to believe. What is it that you want us to believe, John? What is the it that you want us to believe? Is it the whole Bible? No, of course it wasn't the whole Bible because at that stage, the whole Bible didn't even exist. It wasn't written by Luke. It wasn't written by Matthew, Mark, or John. What he's saying is that the things that I've written down about Jesus, I've written that you may believe so that you understand that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And that if you believe in him, that you may have life in his name. Earlier in that account, he wrote these words that perhaps are famous uh, to you and you've heard them before. Let me write this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What he's saying is that God could see that the world was in a mess. He sent his son uh, so that who believes in him doesn't need to die. Uh, That's that song we were singing earlier. But we can have eternal life. John calls it life in all its fullness, a different kind of life than you've experienced before. So if John's account is all you have, John says John, that his account is all you need. We don't need the whole Bible. It's helpful to have the whole Bible. But John's account, if that's all you have, John's account is all you need. And we know that that's right because back in the day uh, of, of John, There were people um, who were becoming believers. The church was growing amazingly. It was growing across Israel, and it was growing across the Mediterranean. Some of those early church leaders uh, took these accounts and took them to different places. Um, Luke actually went across the Mediterranean as well on some journeys and took the account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection to different groups of people. And different groups of people sort of started getting together and believing, and little churches were springing up all over the place. Some of those church leaders were writing letters to them, and they would be shared by writing them out and sharing them amongst them so they could help explain a bit more about uh, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And those accounts would have been written out uh, again and again so that the story uh, of Jesus was passed across many, many people. And the church grew, and the church grew. And those things were so precious to them, and they were so excited to hear this message about this thing that had happened, that Jesus had died and been risen again, uh, that they were willing to die. The church was persecuted for about 300 years, but people were so uh, committed and, and felt that those accounts were so precious that they were willing to die for them. They were willing to die for their faith in Jesus. If John's account was all they had... John's account was all they needed. All they needed to know was that pivotal moment in history when Jesus died and was resurrected and he transformed those people. After about 300 years, uh, the persecution ended and scholars got together and they could start talking about uh, these accounts openly. And they agreed to put together those accounts. They agreed to put together those letters. And they agreed to put together some of those ancient Jewish texts and put them into one thing. And that's how we got our Bible. And we are fortunate these days to have the whole thing. But the account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is all that we actually need. So how do we respond to that this morning? Well, I've got some suggestions of of what we could do. 
If you've never done it before, or you've done it a million times before, why not this week uh, grab one of those accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and read it uh, for yourself? Uh, if you don't have a Bible, then we've got Bibles out in the Next Steps area, which we would be delighted uh, to give to you. Or if you have a phone, then uh, there's an amazing Bible app uh, that you can just download. I've got it on my phone. Uh, and you can read uh, one of those accounts. So as you're in your uh, queue for your latte at Costa's this week or uh, in the queue at Tesco's, you could just grab your phone uh, and just scroll through and read a few uh, paragraphs of what Jesus was doing um, uh, or, and the things that he was saying. And then when you've done that, uh, then you could read Luke's sequel, uh, his second account, the Acts of the Apostles, uh, or Acts, as it might be, on, uh, written on the Bible app. And, uh, and this is an amazing book. It tells you all about uh, what happened next after those uh, disciples, those followers of Jesus, had been transformed by that amazing experience of the resurrection of Jesus and how they took um, that story out across the Mediterranean. Luke actually becomes part of that story. He goes on some of those journeys uh, and explains that and, and all the things that he got he got up to. If you're a lady uh, and you're free on a Friday morning, there's a connect group that's working its way through Acts uh, this year, and we would be delighted to have you join with us. If you want to know more about that, you can find out more in the Next Steps area. And as we read, whether you've been a Christian for ages or whether you've never engaged with Jesus at all and thought about him at all, then I'd ask you to ask this question. What does the resurrection uh, mean to you? As you read those stories of Jesus and, and, and discover again what it was that he did, uh, what does that resurrection uh, moment in history mean for you? So for someone like me, uh, who's engaged with the, church, uh, with the Bible for many, many years, Ask yourself, has, has the resurrection kind of got a bit dull? Has it lost its wonder? Has it lost the miraculousness of it? Ask yourself, what does the resurrection mean to me? And as you read through other bits of the Bible, remember the resurrection is the start of how we got our Bible. What does it mean to read another section of the Bible, but knowing it all starts with the resurrection? What does it mean to read the Bible through the lens of the resurrection. If Jesus uh, was a madman who just made wild claims and then died, there would be nothing to write. Luke would have never written his account. There'd be no Christians, there'd be no church, there'd be no FBC here this morning, and there would be no Bible. But that one moment changed everything. And that's how the story of the Bible began. And that's what we're going to look at over the next few weeks. We're going to unpack how the story of the Bible continues. So join us next week for that. It's going to be good. Shall we pray together? And then the band is going to lead us in a song. Father God, we thank you uh, for the story of the Bible. We thank you that the story starts with you, with your life, your death, and that pivotal moment in history when you rose from the grave. We thank you that because you came into the mess that we were making, that you can give us life, life in all its fullness, life that we could never appreciate before, that you give us eternal life. We don't need to fear death. 
Thank you for those early uh, believers who had the forethought and foresight to write down their accounts so that uh, generation after generation has been able to read your story and engage with it. Thank you that you want to move us on in our journey and we thank you that you live amongst us now. In your name we pray. Amen.